If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's uh, in the New Testament, so near the back of your Bible. But that's the passage we'll be studying from and learning from today. And that's really what we do here every week, isn't it? We, we say, God, what is it you want to show us from your word? Because you have spoken and you have contained and preserved your your, your thoughts, your teaching, the truths about you in your word. And so that is what we do today. We want to hear from God. 1 Corinthians 15. Did you know that holidays can change your whole life? I'm talking for here and for eternity. Holidays can change your whole life. It's, it's true. I, I want to show you this. If you correctly understand and fully embrace three holidays, all of your life and all of your eternity, all of your forever will be completely different. Christmas, holiday number one, Christmas teaches that mankind was sitting in spiritual darkness, sin and death, but that God the Son came into this world bearing human flesh. He put on human flesh through the Virgin Mary and he came into this sin-sick, dark world as the light and life of the world. That's the first holiday we need to understand and embrace. And then we need to know another holiday, Good Friday, which we just celebrated two days ago. It doesn't get as much airtime in the media. It doesn't get as much uh, cards or things. I don't know, like, uh, but Good Friday is one of the most important holidays you could ever know about. And this was two days ago. It reminds us that that God man, that light in life of the world was snuffed out, was put to death for our sins that on the cross, he bore the wrath that we deserve for our sin. The wrath of God for our sin was poured out on Jesus. And then he was buried and put in a grave. That is Good Friday. We need to understand that. We need to embrace that. Then, of course, you have today, Easter, or what we like to call Resurrection Day. That is the day that Jesus, that same God-man who, who hung on that cross and who bore our sin and who was placed in a grave, rose from the grave in a body, still fully God and still fully human. Now, a lot of people understand the significance of those first two holidays. We say, well, of course we needed Christmas. Like We needed God the Son to come into our broken, sin-sick world. And of course, we needed Good Friday because we all have sinned and we all have a sin debt that we could not pay. And Jesus paid it on Good Friday. So of course, we need Good Friday. Of course, we need Christmas. But I would say a lot of us struggle with understanding why Resurrection Day is so important. Why, why does it matter that Jesus, the God-man, rose bodily from the dead? 
What difference does that make? I mean, what makes Resurrection Sunday worth celebrating? And I would even say, what makes Resurrection Day so glorious? And that's what we're going to see today from 1 Corinthians 15. I want to focus not only on on the good that comes to us through the resurrection, but on how it shows God to be glorious, that he is wondrous, that he is majestic, that he is the beautiful treasure that we all should desire. And he really is beautiful and he really shows us that through the resurrection. That is my aim today. That is what I believe God wants to do through 1 Corinthians 15 for you today. So would you join me in prayer again that God would would help us here? Father God, you have done such wondrous things for undeserving sinners like me, like all my friends here. And we rejoice in what you did that first Christmas, sending your son into this world, this broken world. And we worship you that Jesus went to the cross to bear our sin, to take our death so that we might be forgiven and have a relationship with you. And God, we do worship you and celebrate Resurrection Day, but we ask for your help. We ask for insight. And we ask for more than just information, but that we would see your glory in the resurrection of Jesus and that we would feel infinitely blessed and honored to be recipients of this wonderful gift. And God, if there are any in this room who have not yet trusted in your son, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection for our sake, God, if there are any who haven't trusted in him, Lord, I pray that you would quicken their hearts this morning that you would help them to feel the weight of their sin, to know that they are lost so that they can be found, so they can have their sins forgiven in Christ Jesus, so that they can have a relationship with you forevermore, God. I pray that you would do all these things in the name of our resurrected Savior, Jesus. Amen. So what makes Resurrection Sunday glorious. This is what I want to show you. This is what what I want to draw out of 1 Corinthians 15. What is it that should incite, that should elicit excitement and wonder and worship from 1 Corinthians 15, from, from the resurrection? The first thing I want to show you, the first glorious reality is the glory of salvation. Left side. Oh, there we go. New clicker. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, Dave. The glory of salvation. This is the first thing that we need to understand why the resurrection of Jesus was so necessary and why it is such a glorious reality worth celebrating and worshiping God for. Now, Here's what I want to explain to you that that many of us uh, don't understand. It was not only through the cross, but also through the resurrection of Jesus that our salvation was purchased and accomplished. The the cross wasn't enough in that sense. And I kind of want to show you that. 
The cross wasn't enough to, to have our, our sins forever forgiven and to have eternity with God and bodies that never die. The resurrection had to happen as well. See, almost 2,000 years ago, just decades after Jesus did die and did rise from the grave, there was a church, the church at Corinth, that was skeptical and uncomfortable with the resurrection. And so they're, they're, they're kind of bringing up these questions. They're saying, Does, we don't know that the resurrection uh, human body can actually be raised from the dead. And so we want to keep Christianity, but we kind of want to do away with the resurrection. And because they thought, well, that's not such a big deal. That's just a minor point, a minor difference. We're, we don't like the resurrection, so we're just going to get rid of it. But listen to these sobering words of Paul in verses 12 through 19. This is what he says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Here we go. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. In verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, that is those who have died, in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Did you hear those words? If Jesus did not rise, if he was not resurrected from the dead, then your faith is futile. It's worthless. And you are still in your sin. What that means is you have sinned and the wages of sin is eternal death, eternal damnation. And in though you trust in Christ, if he hasn't been raised from the dead, then you are still going to pay that sin debt. This is what we need to understand. When Jesus went to the cross, he went not only to be sacrificed in our place for our sin, but he went to slay the power of sin and death on our behalf. He went not only to pay the debt we owe, but to defeat sin and death. There is a difference. He, he doesn't just pay the debt, he is defeating sin and death, robbing them of their power that they hold over us. So, so make no mistake about it, when Jesus went to the cross, it was more than just him laying his life down to suffer. It was him going into battle. That, that's what we need to understand. Jesus went into battle at the cross. And so here, you got to think about this. Okay, so if Jesus needed to not only pay for sin, but to defeat sin and death, then if he stayed dead, then he was defeated. If Jesus stayed dead, dead, his body stayed dead, then death won. Sin overcame him. 
Therefore, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. He failed. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he failed. Because it was more than a payment needed. It was a defeat that we needed. We needed victory and we lost in Jesus. And so you think about it, what good is it to put our faith in a failure? What good is it to entrust our life to a dead person? I hope we feel the weight of that. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are all absolutely without hope because there is a grand and glorious and holy God out there and he does punish sin because he is so grand, glorious and holy. But look at how Paul responds to this. Does he say, well, you know, I guess that is a small point. Maybe Jesus did rise, maybe he didn't. No, look at what he says in verse 20. I'll put it up on the screen for you. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. I, I love it. He, he transitions straight from, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, things could not possibly be worse. We are the most to be pitied. We are more to be pitied than the non-Christian if Christ didn't raise from the dead because we lay our lives down daily for the sake of the gospel in submission to Christ rather than pursuing our own fleshly desires. So if Christ hasn't risen, we're actually in worse shape than those who don't trust in Jesus. That's what he's saying. But he turns immediately in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul's saying, yes, it, things would be horrible. Things would be beyond hopeless, but Christ has been raised from the dead. And you say, well, well, Paul, how do you know? Well, he had already told them. Look back in your Bible or on the screen to verses 3 through 8. 3 through 8. Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. Here we go, verse five. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely untimely born, he appeared to me. The reason Paul knows that the resurrection of Jesus really happened, that Jesus was not a failure, is because of the overwhelming evidence. And by the way, he doesn't list all of the overwhelming evidence. What about Roman guards that had to be paid off to lie that the disciples stole his body? That's kind of weird. You know, like, we could go through so many more, but I'll try to stick with what Paul is talking about here. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. How? Because he appeared. <laughs> he was very much alive. He, he lists there all the people that he appeared to. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, then to more than 500 brothers at one time. And he, again, had a body. He, he was a physical Jesus, the same Jesus we, we knew before. He still had nail piercings in his hands. He still had a, a hole in his side where the spear went in when he was hanging on the cross. You know, you think about it, people often report, maybe not often, uh, I don't personally know anyone who reports this, but people will sometimes report 
that, that a dead loved one, you know, returned to them and gave them a message or something like that. And I, and I don't know if that's true or not. I, I have no idea. But I'll tell you this. First, that, that's generally not something that they appear to hundreds of people, right? That happens late at night um, when they're like sitting on their bed and, you know, then this happens. They, they see this person uh, that they, they believe to be appearing to them. Here, Paul is saying they appeared to the 12, they appeared to all the apostles, they appeared to Cephas, they appeared to James, they appeared to, or he rather, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And then you notice he adds there, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. What's his point there? Alive people, you can go and ask them, did you really see Jesus? Like, not, not just some spirit, not just some, you just had this, did you really see the resurrected Christ? And there were many of 500, most of 500 people that they could go and ask, did you really see the resurrected Christ? And they'd say, yeah. And, and that's kind of how you do things. You know, if I were to, to tell you some grand story of something I did at my house, you know, and I'm like, there's no way you'll believe me. You can ask my wife, you know, like that, that's what I would say. You, you can ask an eyewitness and she will tell you whether or not I did. She'll probably be like, eh, it was sort of like that. The fish was more like this big, you know, like we all exaggerate. I get it. But the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, it was just real. There he was. By the way, he walked on the road to Emmaus with two of the disciples. He, he told doubting Thomas to put his hands, he put his finger in the holes in his hands and, and where the spear hole was in his side. He ate food that the disciples gave him. Now, again, when people say a, a, a dead loved one visited me, they're not walking with them. They're, they're not saying touch me. They're not eating food with them. It's, it's again, just like this ethereal spirit being is, is more how things usually are, but we have something very different. There is overwhelming evidence, Paul is saying, that Jesus really was resurrected from the dead, not just his spirit lived on, but no, he got up and got out of the grave. He, by the way, folded his grave clothes and got out. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming evidence. It's interesting, even historians today, non-Christian, secular historians will say the evidence is overwhelming. They'll say, I still don't believe it, but uh, the, the evidence is overwhelming that, the, that Jesus did die on a cross, that he did rise from the dead. And so this is what Paul is saying. Jesus was not a failure. While, while if, if Jesus... Uh, did not rise from the dead, we have no hope because he did rise from the dead. We have a living hope. We have a living savior. We have a victorious savior. And, and what that means for us is, is very important. This is very, very important. It means that if you have cr trusted in Christ Jesus as your Lord and savior, then you will certainly be saved. Because he did take the debt for your sin. And he did have victory over sin and death. But it means another thing that I don't want you to miss today. It means that you have an incredibly glorious Savior. He was not only the lamb who was slain on your behalf. He is the victorious warrior who overcame sin and death. I mean, th this is a glorious Savior. 
He not only paid for the sin, he defeated it. He crushed it. This is beautiful. And this is the salvation. This is the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. But because of the resurrection, salvation is beautiful. Salvation is sure for those who trust in Christ Jesus. Amazingly enough, that's not all that Jesus accomplished in his resurrection from the dead. I want to show you uh, another aspect, another huge, glorious reality. The glory of recreation. I put the dash in there so you'd know it wasn't recreation. <laughs> the glory of recreation. What, what I'm talking about here is that the, the Bible tells us um, that God created the world through Jesus. That Jesus, God the Son, is the agent that created this world. It, it kind of gives him credit for it, if, if, if you will. But what we're going to see here is that through Jesus' bodily resurrection, recreation will become his thing as well. That is, we have spoiled, we have soured these bodies, we have corrupted them because of sin. Sin, death, decay. These are, these are all things that we all feel. Anyone ache this morning? I took two Advil. <laughs> Headache again. These allergies are killing me. These are all things that Jesus, through the resurrection, is recreating. And here's what I want to tell you. There will come a day when Jesus returns, there will come a day that we will all receive resurrection bodies. That is, our bodies will be raised from the dead. And not only that, these resurrection bodies will be far more glorious than anything we've ever experienced. You in your prime will pale in comparison to the future glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me show you this uh, in, in verses 20 to 22 here. He says there, we, we already read this first half of verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's talking about Adam, our, our first father who, who sinned with Eve there in the garden. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. That's talking about Jesus through him has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And so what I, what I want to point out to you is, I mean, it, it's quite clear that it's saying here that Jesus is going to give us resurrected bodies. But I want to explain this to you in kind of a fun way, because Paul uses an interesting term there twice. Twice he refers to the resurrected Jesus as the first fruits. Now, I don't know how many of you are farmers or gardeners or anything like that, but, but what the first fruits is, is it's a sign of two things. The first fruits uh, is first a sign that the seeds and the soil are going to produce vegetation. Um, my wife uh, recently, it was earlier this year, she found a bunch of old tomato seeds. I don't know how old they were. 
and uh, she planted them in our house and stuck them in a window and she would watch them and watch and watch. And for the longest time she thought, well, I guess those seeds were too old, like nothing is going to happen. But then one day, I think Nora comes running up, mommy, they're, they're growing. And like, and so there was coming out of that ground, these green little leaves. And what that told us, what that told us is we're gonna have more. If those seeds, they're all the same seeds and they're in the same soil, if these ones have broken through the ground, then so will the rest of them. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus tells us as well. Because Christ Jesus has risen from the grave, he has broken through the ground, if you will, so will those who belong to him. He paved the way, he broke through the ground of death so that we might rise with him. So that's the first idea behind first fruits. Because Jesus rose bodily from the dead in a resurrection body, so will we. But there's a second thing that the first fruits show you. Later, as, the, as these plants begin to grow and they begin to produce fruit, and that first time you look at it and you say, okay, all right, I'm gonna try it, and you bite into it, and what, what's going to happen is you're going to say, okay, something wasn't right about that. Or you're going to say, wow, that was delicious. That, that was a great apple or whatever. You, you, and what that's going to tell you is that's what the rest of the fruits are going to be like as well. If the first one was bitter, the rest are kind of probably all going to be bitter. You might as well just kind of plow it up and <laughs> start over. But if, but if that first one is juicy and delicious and sweet, then you know that the rest will be as well. And so it is with the resurrection of Christ Jesus and our future resurrection. Let me show you uh, how Paul talks about this, that, that it will actually be more glorious than what we've experienced now. He says in, in verses 30, making sure, 35 through 37, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So it's kind of what, what quality will we be? He says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So Paul's using another far, uh, farming analogy here. He's saying, the seed that you put in the ground, like you put it in the ground and it doesn't grow up just to be a, a little seed, a boring little seed. Like, no, it grows up to, to sprout fruitful vegetation. Like you have this little seed and it sprouts up to be fruitful vegetation. And he's saying the same thing is true with our bodies. What we see right now is the bare kernel, the mere seed. And what God is going to do is, is he, we're going to die and, and our body will be buried. But what he will do at the resurrection is we will see the fruit, the potential that God has infused in us. It will be different. I'll, I'll show you again, like just how glorious these resurrection bodies will be that Jesus has purchased. He says there in verses 40 and 41, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is, in, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. Okay, 
So he's moved from the, the farming to the celestial, from the ground to the sky. He's saying, just as the sun is far more glorious than the twinkling stars or even the moon, so too will our resurrection bodies be far more glorious than, than what we've experienced here. What, what we have, what we experience, these bodies will be like the stars in comparison to the sun. How many stars do you see when the sun is out, by the way? Every once in a while, you can maybe see like the North Star, which I think is actually like Mars or something. <laughs> I don't know. I should stop talking about uh, astronomy. I don't know enough. But, you know, occasionally you see one out there that's like, oh, that's actually a planet, not a star. I did love astronomy in, in college, actually. Anyways, the sun is so bright that you don't even see the stars during the day. And that's what Paul's saying. Our bodies will be so glorious that it'll be a faint memory what these weak, frail bodies were like even at their finest moment. This is how glorious the resurrection, this recreation will be. And there's one more point I want to show you that honestly, it would take me far too long. Oh, yep. No, I need, I need to look at that too. He, he gives us more uh, specifics of what these bodies will look like. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. This is just an overview of what all these analogies have been pointing to. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, our bodies, what is sown is perishable. What is raised, our resurrection bodies, is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So he's got gotten a little more specific, even though some of that's like even hard for us to understand. And that's why he's having to use analogies because it's like we can't even hardly find a comparison to this, this because it will be so glorious. But there's one final thing he says there in verse 49, and this is just mind blowing. He says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so just as we now are the same as Adam, the man of dust, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Okay, you got to work with me here. Again, th those of you who know scripture may, may know these references, but Jesus is the perfect image of God the Father. When, when he came into this world even, he's the perfect image of God the Father. And at the resurrection... His body got this glorified unveiling, if you will, that his human flesh no longer restrained his glory. Now, if Jesus is the perfect image of, the perfect reflection of God the Father, what this says is, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We will be the perfect reflection of Jesus. I'll tell you something, Jesus is what I'm excited for in heaven. His glory, his beauty, his majesty. These are things that I'm only tasting in part right now, but when I taste them, it is wonderful. When I taste the glory of Jesus, how great he is, that is when my heart is full. That is when I treat people with kindness because my heart is full. That is when I am generous because my heart is full. That is when I am at my best. 
is when I'm excited about when I'm seeing the glory of Jesus. And what this is now telling us is that Jesus, the perfect reflection of his father, we will be the perfect reflection of him. And what that means is if you are in Christ and you receive a resurrection body, which you will if you're in Christ, when I look upon you in the next life, in this recreation, I get to see Jesus. Now I'll, I'll still know it's you. Uh, I, I will still, you'll still be you, but you will be a perfect reflection of Jesus. This, by the way, is what we're already supposed to be pursuing. We see that in 1 John chapter 3. He says, we will be like him when we see him because we will see him as he is, but we purify ourselves now as he is pure. We become like him now. And it's a beautiful, glorious thing. But this is what we have to look forward to. <coughs> Excuse me. We will no longer, th th there will be a season, by the way, that we won't have bodies in heaven. Like, it, I, don't, I don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't explain exactly what it will be like. But we will be very much in the presence of God. Jesus said to the thief on the cross next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so there is a sense in which when you pass that moment, you are in the presence of Jesus. But there is coming a day that God will crown the glory of his creation with these recreated resurrection bodies that we get to experience, that we get to enjoy, that we get to glorify him with and enjoy him with. Honestly, if, if I were to just describe these bodies, they will be perfectly suited to the worship and enjoyment of God. And he is the most worthy of worship and he is the most satisfying. And so you see again, God's grace in the resurrection. It purchased for us, it paved the way for us. Jesus was the first fruits because he was resurrected in a glorious body. So too will we be resurrected in a glorious body. And that again shows you not only what we get to enjoy, what we will get to experience, but it shows you the glory of the Savior who gives it freely to us as a gift. I deserve none of it. I deserve none of it. Yet he gives freely and he purchased it all through the power of his resurrection. But there is one final thought I want to give you today from the resurrection. Not all of you at this moment, if you were to pass away, not all of you would experience this salvation. Not all of you will one day receive this glorious resurrection. Oh, there will be a resurrection, a resurrection unto eternal death, the Bible tells us, for those who have not been saved through Christ Jesus. And, and what we see, uh, I, I see it even in the, the first couple of verses here of 1 Corinthians, that in order to have this salvation, in order to belong to Christ, as it says in verse 23, in order to belong to Christ, we must believe these realities and we must receive Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. This is, this is where we have to be. We have to say, I see that your salvation, <coughs> excuse me, was enough. And I see that my sin was terrible. And I want you to take over my life. Christ, I, I want you, I want you to, to take the reins. I don't want you to be my co-pilot. Just get in there, drive my life. This, this is what 
it is to belong to Christ. And that in verse 23 is talking about the future resurrection. This will happen to those who belong to Christ. We must believe and receive this gospel. But I know that's a struggle for some of you. You say, I mean, could he, I mean, is there even a God? <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and then if there is a God, did God the Son really come into this world and take on flesh in the person of Jesus? Did, did he really go to the cross and pay for my sins? Did he really defeat sin and death on my behalf that I might have a glorious future? I mean, could that really have happened? Here's what I want to show you as the final wondrous gift of God through the resurrection. And that is the glory of believing. The glory of believing. What we're going to see here that I want to show you is that though some of us struggle to believe in the incarnation of Jesus, though some of us struggle to believe that Jesus wasn't just a guy that died on a cross like many others before him, that through the resurrection, God can help you believe today. You know how I know that, that God can do that? The Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, the letter that we're studying right now, the Apostle Paul. And he, at one point, was one of the biggest skeptics you could ever meet. He did not believe in Jesus. In fact, he was such a big skeptic that in verse 9 there, he said, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. What? Yes, the guy who wrote this letter about the resurrection of Jesus, about the salvation that we can have in him, the guy who wrote this was a persecutor of the church. You can read about it in Acts. He was an active persecutor. He, he would drag people off to prison, it says. <clears throat> he was a persecutor of the church. I mean, and he knew who Jesus claimed to be. He knew that he claimed to be the son of God. He knew that Jesus died on a cross. Everybody knew that. It was a huge spectacle. Everyone in Jerusalem knew that Jesus had died on a cross. So that, none, neither of those things were difficult for him, but he could not believe, okay, was this really God the son? Is this possible? And so he went about persecuting those who trusted in this Christ. That's how adamant he was that this could not be so. So what made a persecutor of the church into one of the world's greatest purveyors of the church? What turned a skeptic into a believer? Well, he told us in verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely, untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul believed in, in Christ and received Christ once he knew that Jesus had risen from the dead because he understood what that meant. He understood that if Jesus really rose from the dead, then he really is God the Son. There's just no way around it. Anyways, I've got too many sidetracked thoughts. If Jesus rose from the dead in power, if, the, if, if death couldn't hold him, if, if the grave couldn't keep him, then clearly he is God the Son as he had claimed to be this whole time. And so the moment Paul recognized oh, he really is raised from the dead, Paul was literally on the road to persecute the church when this happened, by the way. 
and he turned around and, and changed everything in his life, literally everything in his life. And he would suffer for the sake of a resurrected Christ. And he would do so confidently because he knew, the, yeah, it's true. It's all true because he rose from the dead. He really was God the Son. And if he really was God the Son, then his payment on the cross was enough. There is salvation in this one Jesus Christ. And now I, I, I'm not guessing that the resurrected Jesus is gonna appear to you today in a physical form. It's, it's unlikely. But I'll tell you, it's never happened to me either. But I know he lives. <laughs> I know he lives through the many proofs the Bible gives us. But I also know he lives because he's changing me. He, he is showing me by his spirit that he is real and that he is a sufficient savior. And it is my prayer, friend, skeptic, one struggling to believe, it is my prayer that today through this glorious resurrection, God will help you believe just like he helped Paul believe. And that he would change your life just like he changed Paul's and that he would give you an everlasting glorious eternity just like he did Paul. That is my prayer and that is the gift God wants to give you today through the resurrection. Do you see now how holidays can change everything? <laughs> he came into the world on Christmas. Good Friday, he dies for our sins. Resurrection Sunday, he is victorious over sin and death for us. Full salvation, resurrection bodies, and even helping us to believe that he really was who he said he was and did what he said he would do. That is God's gift for you today. That is our glorious God, our glorious Savior, and we worship him. I'll tell you, I'm going to pray here in just a moment, and we're going to, to sing a song but, but if you want to talk about any of these things, you, you can come up to, to me or Dave after the service. We would love to talk with you. But, but I'll tell you this, if it would feel too awkward for you to talk, just get my phone number. Just say, hey, can, can we exchange phone numbers? And we'll talk later in the week. I would love to keep this conversation going because it is too important. Literally, your life depends on it. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you so much for showing us why today matters. Why Resurrection Sunday is a necessary holiday. Because in it we celebrate the full completion of our salvation. In it we celebrate a Savior who is victorious over sin and death. In it we celebrate a Savior who bore a resurrection body that we will one day bear as well. And in it, we can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is a sufficient Savior. Oh, what a glorious gift. And this glorious gift only reflects a glorious God who gives it. And so, Lord, we worship you today. In faith, we worship you today. We praise you and we want not only our lips to praise you, but our lives when we leave this place. Lord, help us to believe and to be changed by your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.